Praise God. Everybody ready for some word today? Hope you come ready to eat. Hate to show up at a restaurant and you're not hungry. It's not good to show up at church without a hunger for God's word, too. Praise God. Go with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans, the fourth chapter. We began a series of messages a few weeks ago that I want to continue today. This series is called Convinced. Convinced. We have discovered that being convinced is essential and a necessary ingredient to receiving the best that God has offered us. Uh, In Romans chapter 4, we want to read our text here about Abraham. The Bible says of him in verse 20 that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, everybody say therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the end result of these verses here is he was uh, given righteousness, or righteousness was put to his account. He found a credit when he looked at his statement and it said, righteous. It, what, what was accounted to him for righteousness? His heart being fully convinced in what God had said that he was able to perform it and bring it to pass. Everybody with me today? Okay. Did it bear any good um, dividends in his life that he was convinced of what God said? Everybody with me? We have some static? I saw people cringing. (laughs) Or was it what I said? I haven't given you my opinion at all yet today. This was the word. Okay. (laughs) He became convinced and it resulted in righteousness. Or we could say right standing with God. There was something about his life that became right because he was fully convinced. Everybody with me? Okay. What that also... See, what it doesn't say right here in the verses we read, the other thing that took place, which is really the same thing, is you know that Abraham was a hundred-year-old guy who was given a promise to be a father of many nations. His wife was a 90-year-old barren woman, and that was what he believed that God was able to perform. Him being convinced of that produced what? It produced right standing with God and it changed his body and it changed his wife's body. Do you see that? Being convinced changed his standing with God which changed his body and his wife's body. Sometimes we separate all this kind of stuff and say, yeah, my sins are forgiven. I'm right with God, but the rest of my life is a mess. Everybody with me now? Say, you just read my mail right there. (laughs) But here's the thing. We should not separate that, 
but allow that to be joined together and know that when we are right with God, it produces a flow of God's power into all areas of our lives. If we separate it and think, oh God, He's so good, He forgave my sins and, and He gave me a pathetic life to live out until I go to heaven. It's all together. God did a work through Jesus so that I would be right with Him and that rightness allows His power to flow in healing, in, in blessing, in restoration, in a good marriage, in a good relationship. Come on, in all areas of life, rightness flows from God. I don't know if you see that. But this was contingent upon Him being fully convinced. Otherwise, how many know, we wouldn't be told that. We would just... We would just talk like, well, a lot of Christians have been instructed to talk. We would just say, God had a plan, and He did it. God wanted Abraham to be the father of many nations, and so the will of God is always done, and so it just happened. I mean, no, it didn't say that. Do you know the reason it didn't say that? Because it's not true. Because <laughs> it's not correct. Literally, a persuaded, convinced heart is a hinge that will make the difference. It's the, it's the key point that will determine whether God's, what God has said, what He has promised, will happen or not. So what this does for me is I see the great importance to get off the fence. I see great value in not living a life where I'm uncertain, I'm unsure, I don't know. I'm always about a question mark. I must be convinced about the most important things. And when I get convinced regarding what God has said to me, promised me, done for me, then there's an uninterrupted flow of God's power to change my life. Come on now. I've seen this happen again and again and again. And we're going to see more and more and more. If you will let your heart be moved... Let your heart be persuaded by the Lord. You can't even comprehend the good things, the magnitude of the goodness of God that He wants to bring to pass in your life. You haven't even thought of it. He'll go beyond your thought. He'll, he'll exceed the need. He'll go beyond what you could ever ask or think. But let's become convinced inside of what He has said. Praise God. All right. We were sharing with you uh, last time and answering this question, how does one become convinced? And say, so why do you ask that question? Because that's just the way, that's the way I think. When I read scriptures like this, and I see individuals, both in the Bible and contemporaries, who, who are persuaded of something to such a degree that it totally radically changes their destiny, changes their life, they act in a complete different way, or I see someone receive a, a healing, a, an answer to prayer, a miracle from God, and I see it happen in someone, I want to know how, I want to know why, I want to know how did you get to the place where you were so sure that God would back you up, that He would catch you when you stepped out into nothingness, that you would take that kind of step of faith. How did you get there? And so that's the question I'm asking, and by the grace of God, answering, okay? We said to you last week that, number one, we can become convinced because of evidence. Because of evidence that has been left concerning whatever it is. It happens in the court of law all the time. They are trying to 
persuade, convince a jury of something that is uh, guilt or innocence, and so they present evidence. They present eyewitness testimony. They present various things to persuade someone of what actually happened that they can't see, they can't go reproduce. It's not a scientific laboratory experiment. It's just a historical event. Maybe happened a year ago, maybe happened ten years ago, but we have evidence to say this is what happened. Okay, And we began looking at that last week. I want to continue today and talk about another one. Not only are we convinced because of evidence, but we are convinced as a result of the testimony of others' experience. We can become convinced because someone else had an experience, they told us about it, and we, it was so moving it was so concrete and sure, now we're convinced even though we didn't have that exact experience. Everybody with me today? Okay, now, I want to look at, in particular, one individual from the Bible, and let's talk a little bit about his testimony, okay? There was a guy uh, in the New Testament who we're all well aware of because he wrote large portions of the New Testament. His name at one point was Saul, okay? He changed his name later to Paul, but his name was Saul, and, and his experience is powerful. But how many know we're moved by this in all areas of life? I mean, you go home and watch TV, watch the commercials. If they're trying to, well, they're all trying to sell you something. Uh, they're trying to sell you something. You'll find it all day long that they will interject personal testimony, won't they? And the thing is, a lot of it's not even real. Because there's actors, and they're paid, and they said, this happened to me, and it didn't. <laughs> but, you know, they're saying, I, you know, I took this pill, and uh, three days later, I, I was a millionaire, and I lost 50 pounds, and, and my marriage was fixed, and my kids all obeyed me, and, and uh, my, my dog that ran away, he came home, and, and, uh, and, and if you'll take one of these pills, introductory price, same thing will happen to you, right? And even though, some, even though we'll look at that and go, eh, all right, I'll try it. <laughs> I got to fix my life somehow. And how many know a whole lot of money is spent based upon we look into someone else's eyes who looked like they were the real deal. And as they shared their story, we thought, I'm going to, that's worth forty nine ninety five for me. Uh, I'm going to give that a shot. And we're moved by that. Now, even though it can be done in a fake way and it's not necessarily true in all situations, we know that the, the principle of being convinced by someone else's story someone else's real life experience is valid. We see it happening all the time. Okay? And uh, I know this, that um, sometimes the reason for our failure in life is, is no more complicated than we just weren't certain. We approached what we did with uncertainty and trepidation and fear and, and just wondering. And uh, I tell you what, I mean, even today, this is... this. These words were written quite a while ago, but unbelief is still a booger. <laughs> It'll still mess you up. <laughs> it really can be a hindrance in your natural relationships. It'll hinder your relationship with God. But we have got to get to a place, and it's easily done. We'll see, we see how it works, but we can become convinced of what is right and what is true. Then things work. Is everybody okay with me talking about things that work? I, I know I know. sometimes in church we separate. I mean, if we... Uh, if we uh, hired someone to fix our house, and every time they came over and fixed it, a week le- fixed it, whatever it was, a week later it was broken again, we would hire someone else. 
right? I mean, I think we have that kind of common sense, like, um, no, don't hire that person because they don't, they don't work. Yet we put up with things spiritually for years. We go, to, we go to church year after year and things are not working. We pray and pray and pray and things aren't working. We do all the things we know to do and nothing works. Our prayers aren't answered. Our life is not any better off than it was before, yet we keep pressing on. That is not God's intent. He, he under, I think he wants us to use our brain in these regards, not rely upon our own understanding. But if something's not working, change course. If something is not producing anything, go somewhere else. Huh? You got real quiet on me here. Well, I just think we should be faithful. I believe we should be faithful too. I just need to be faithful to church and give my tithe and and do all these things. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but why would you want to do that if things weren't working? Say, Pastor, you're undermining your own ministry here. No, <laughs> I don't believe so because if 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 we can't contribute to your connection with God to the degree that it impacts your your emotions, your thoughts, your physical body, your marriage, your your life, then we're missing it. God is not just out there some nebulous force that you can never quantify or anything like that. You can never tell if he's really there. Certainly we can. We if someone's life is not changed at all, then God wasn't present then there was no intera- interaction with him. Praise the Lord. You're all looking at me like, I'll say it this way, don't look at me in that tone of voice. <laughs> if I'm tweaking your thinking or challenging your position, I like to do that. And, uh, and just stay with me for a little while and, and let someone else have it later if you don't like it. <laughs> Let's go back to Saul now. Okay, let's talk about Saul. This is a guy, he had an experience, and it was dramatic. And it's so dramatic that it moves me 2,000 years later, approximately. Okay? He was one of the most influential people in Christianity in the early church. Like I said, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament, and uh, he was inspired by God. His message went around the world. And he, he was a powerful person. But he was originally known as Saul of Tarsus. And he was one of Christianity's most antagonistic oppositions in, in the world. He persecuted. He put people in prison. He bound them up. Christians, I'm talking about. He persecuted Christianity. He, 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 he stood there. He was one of the guys that was holding the coats of those throwing the rocks at Stephen the first martyr of the church, all right? Paul, or Saul as he was known, holding everyone's jacket saying, yeah, Stephen, he deserves to die for preaching Jesus, for saying these things. Throw rocks at his head. There's a spot, right? See, right over there. He missed one right over there. Hit that spot right there. He was approving of that. Think about what a nice guy that is. (laughs) I mean, kind of a rough rough character, right? Um, A few facts about him is he possessed Roman citizenship. Okay, in their day, that was highly valued because of the control that Rome had. Similar in one sense that American citizenship is, is, is treasured and valued in many places of the world. People are trying to get in here, okay? But he was a Roman citizen. He had great command of the Greek language. See, see Saul was not an uneducated person. When we, when we show him holding the coats, it's probably because he was above picking up the rocks himself. 
Uh, you guys go ahead and do this. That's, he was highly educated. He was, he was a, a citizen, like we said. You can see in some of the writings of the New Testament that he would quote poets and philosophers that weren't even well known. And what, what, what does that show you? He's quoting these guys. That means he has studied a lot. He has read a lot. He is not an ignorant person by any means, an uneducated person. In fact, he studied under a guy named Gamaliel, which was one of the greatest rabbis of the time. So he came up under the greatest teachers of his day. He was quite accomplished in many ways. He was, the scripture says in Acts 23, that he was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. Okay? So he came from a line of Pharisees. Now, many of us believers now, we think, ooh, Pharisee, that's not a good thing. Well, that's because we're aware of how much Jesus rebuked them for their hypocrisy. But in their day, they were the, the power brokers of religion, of the law of Moses. These guys studied. They knew it down to the T. They were the, the teachers of the day. Saul was one of those guys. Wore, wore the, the garments that, you know, identified him as a Pharisee. And he had that reputation. So he was no small player in the religious world and in Judaism of their day. He was one of the top dogs. He knew his stuff. In fact, Galatians 1 says about him, well, he actually wrote Galatians, that he was advancing beyond many of his contemporaries. So he not only was in the class, he not only was on the job, he not only was in, in the field, but he was one of the top people. He was going beyond all of, all of his friends and those who, who, who were around him in their day. Saul was a big dude, okay? Big, I said he was, well, tradition says he was short, but uh, he, he was big in, in what he did. Yet, look at his attitude towards Christians. He was very much opposed to them, doing harm to them. Again, why was he doing that? It was based upon his knowledge of the law his understanding, we might say, of the law of Moses as being the way to salvation. And when Jesus came along and died and, he all, and, and was raised from the dead, all of a sudden he's got all these followers that are multiplying by, you know, just very, very quickly. Saul was saying, oh no, we've got to put a stop to this. How many know he was a very religious person? We understand that someone who's religious is not always nice. In fact, more commonly, you'll find those that are religious are not nice. They'll stab you in the back. They'll pull the rug out from underneath you. They'll do you wrong in business. You go around the world, they might throw rocks at your head. They'll stone you, and in places of the world, they'll kill you because they are so religious. They think they're doing God a favor by harming people who believe different from them. Saul was one of those guys. Okay? He, he was, he, but he was doing this based upon what he believed from the law of Moses as being right with God or, or being the way to salvation. He held to what he understood. And when Jesus was being preached and changing lives all over the place, he saw that as a direct opposition, not a fulfillment, but a direct opposition to God. And he was educated. When they had the discussions, he had answers. He had scriptures to back his position. Come on now. How many know when we talk about someone being a believer, someone being a Christian, we're not saying if you are intelligent, if you have a decent IQ, you'll be a Christian, and if you have a real low IQ, you won't be a Christian. No, it's not about whether someone is a smart person or not, whether they are educated or not. It is about seeing the truth. It is about having the light turned on that will cause a person to alter their life. 
But something happened to Saul. I want you to go over to Acts chapter 9 with me. And let's take a look at it. Something happened to Saul. And it's still reverberating throughout the world today. It is still able to move our hearts to a place of being convinced today. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, now the way, that was, they were later called Christians, okay, that's uh, in the church, who were of the way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, how many know he thought he was just persecuting Christians, people who believed in Jesus? But the Lord came up and said, no, you're persecuting me. How many know the Lord still is taking people who come against you personally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, well, I'm the Lord. No, he didn't say that. Then the, then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what is he talking about, about the goads? Hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads were like, some translation will say pricks. It's like a sharp point that they would use to, uh, to uh, move oxen along. They would goad them. Or prick him with that, that sharp point. And, and, and the Lord said to, to Saul, it's hard for you to kick against this. What, what this tells me is that this wasn't the first time God was dealing with him. That he had already known about Jesus. He had already heard the gospel. He had heard what the message is. And he was resisting it. He was re- I bet when he was standing there holding the, the coats of those who were stoning, uh, stoning Stephen, that God was dealing with him on the inside. Mm, mm. He's getting goaded, you know, and you know, and Stephen's standing there uh, about to die, and he's looking up and say, "I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God." Jesus stood up for that occasion. It's nice, and uh, I see Jesus. And the Bible said his face was shining like an angel. Saul sitting there watching this. What's happening? It's called conviction. It's called the Spirit of God has already begun to move and deal with him. And Jesus appears to him and says, "Saul, this is hard, isn't it?" It's hard for you to kick against this. It's just like many of us. We dealt with that for a while. We were, mm, something was pricking us. Something was goading us on the inside. And we resisted and said, no, no, no. But thank God many of us at one point said, all right. (laughs) We gave in to the Lord tugging on us. And so glad we are today. By the way, side thought, those of you who are sharing the sharing the Word, sharing Jesus with your family, with friends, with people you know, and they act like, I don't want any of this, and they live a hellish life, or just say, I'm not interested in that. Like a guy we talked to yesterday who's old and in the hospital, and he said, I've got getting saved on my bucket list. I'm not ready to do it yet. You know, it's like, hey, dude, can you say old in hospital in the same breath? <laughs> and, uh, and time is short. Might want to get it out of the bucket. <laughs> And uh, anyway, but, 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 but know this people that you're talking to and you're praying for, God is dealing with them. They not, might not be showing outward signs of it yet. And you might think, ah, they'll never get right with God. They'll never receive the Lord. I, the way they talk, the way they live, they'll never do this. Don't, 
I wouldn't say that. Look at Saul. Look at the way he was going. He had an uh, encounter with God, and he did a complete 180. He absolutely went the opposite way. But God had been dealing with him. He told him that. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you should do. And if you read the rest, of course, he couldn't see for a couple days. He went there and saw Ananias. He laid his hands on him. He was filled with the Spirit, got his sight back. And the rest of the story is what we know of him. He was that guy and he became something completely different solely based upon this experience where he said, I saw the Lord. Now, now watch, let me, let, let me uh, show you some of these things. 1 Corinthians 9.1, he said, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? This is the reason he says and does the things he did. He said, I saw the Lord. Now let me back up for a minute. Why am I saying this? His experience, which I don't even, I've never met him, been gone for a while. His experience can be used to convince my heart of what he said. See what happens. See if this is, this, his life can convince you of what he says. Okay. He said, I saw the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 8. He said, then last of all, He was seen by me also. Talking about the Lord Jesus. He was seen by me also. So He claimed as, as the reason for His transformed life that He saw the Lord. Yet it wasn't the same way that the eleven that we talked about last week, how they saw the Lord. This was an experience not in Jesus' physical earthly ministry or even in His resurrected form, but the Lord appeared to Him in vision form. Okay, just like the Lord would potentially appear to any of us today, that's the same way that Saul saw him. All right. Now, uh, here's some things that's very interesting that changed. First of all, the character of Paul was dramatically altered after this single event. He became someone, like I've already described, to someone completely different. The Encyclopedia Britannica describes the life of Paul this way. It said that he was an intolerant, bitter, persecuting, religious bigot, proud and temperamental. But after his conversion, he is pictured as a patient, kind, enduring, and self-sacrificing person. That's a dramatic change. What was it based upon? Serious counseling. No. No. An encounter. A dramatic point in his life where he went from one direction to the other based on the, re- the revelation of Jesus. His, it's interesting that his relationship with those who are already believers changed instantly. Let me give you a verse. You, you can follow the, along with these if you want. This is Acts 9. Many of you are there. Acts 9, 19. It says, when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, many times we'll read right over that stuff and say, oh, cool, he hung out with the disciples. Who were they? These are the guys he was trying to put in prison a couple days before. These are the guys he was saying, throw rocks at their head. They're worthy of death. They're preaching things contrary to Moses. They're saying things that are wrong. They should die for that. They were afraid of him. Right? And now what's he doing? Hanging out. These are my buds. 
my homies right here. We, we hang, we eat together. They're of the same group, just like that. Something happened to you, Saul. What's going on? In fact, you might even think about changing your name so people stop thinking about you as that old guy. In Acts chapter 19, so his relationship with people around him immediately changed. In Acts 19, it says in verse 20 that immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Immediately, what did he do? He preached the Christ. And so immediately his message changed. What he was saying and doing, one minute it was follow the law, do the commandments, do the sacrifices, do all the things that are required of you uh, that was given by Moses. The next, the next day he's preaching, nope, Jesus took care of it all. <laughs> he nailed all that to the cross and your sins are forgiven, you're, they're washed away. He's preaching an, an exact opposite message. Well, really it's the same, but it's the fulfillment of what he was preaching before. The fulfillment of the message, but he was, again, opposing that just right before this encounter with the Lord. Verse uh, 3 of Acts 17 reads this way. It says he was explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Again, what was he saying a few days before? He's not the Christ. This is not the Messiah. This Jesus whom these guys are talking about, he's not the one. There are many Jews today still saying that. That's what he was preaching to the point where if you disagreed with him enough, we'll put you in jail for it. And now he's saying the exact opposite. This is kind of a convincing experience for me. I'm thinking, Saul, he's the real deal. I'm thinking, he's not, he's not a fake or phony or baloney or being a put on here. This is not a pizza dream he had. Huh? Yeah, it was just last night. I had this dream. I was flying in my car, and 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 then I saw Jesus. And <laughs> you guys don't have flying car dreams. You do. I think I saw you out there. Yeah. When I fly in my dreams, I'm dodging uh, telephone poles and wires. They're bad. <laughs> flying under them and. It's because I really fly and so I'm aware of them. <laughs> You're trained when you, you know, you fly how to make an emergency landing on roads. And, uh, you know, so you look for roads that there's no telephone wires next to. Like out in the country, you want something where you, they don't help. <laughs> anyway, uh, Saul, what, what was going on here? This experience was not something where he had, huh, I think I had this dream. I'm remembering it now. No, it was so dramatic and so real that it altered everything about his life. Even, to the, even his, his mission was transformed. He went from being a, a Gentile hater to a missionary to the Gentiles. I mean, before, if you weren't a Jew, he thought less of you. You were outside the covenants of God. You were, you were a heathen, man. And now, instead of seeing people outside of the Jewish uh, community as, as less than, he is sent to preach Christ to them. He gives his life and get, takes a few beatings along the way for preaching Jesus to these people. He's all of a sudden in love with them. Amen. I mean, no, the, the work of God in your heart will change your life. 
It'll absolutely alter the way you think, where you go, what you say, your friends, your character, everything about you. And we see all this happening in a moment after one single experience that Saul had with the Lord. Does it do anything to convince you of the validity of his story? People can make up anything. But when you say it, see a life that is transformed that concretely, that dramatically, I tend to say, that guy's the real deal there. He really did see what he said he saw. He really did have an experience with the Lord. And what he saw, I accept that. I haven't even experienced it yet. I'm saying theoretically, I haven't even experienced that yet. But I'm convinced it's real because of what he did and the resulting effect on his life. See, this is one of the reasons we like to give a lot of attention to testimony. Testimonies of God moving. Saving people, changing them, fixing their lives, healing their bodies, setting a, you know, relieving addictions, and, and just really changing people's lives. We have a focus in our services on that. Let's tell about what the Lord has done. Why? Because all of us can be helped, can be convinced by hearing again and again of the work of God in someone else's life. And if you end up knowing them personally, that even gives more credibility because you say, hey, I knew that dude. I knew he was deaf and now he hears. I I was there. I know that's the real deal. Or I knew this person. They were mean. They were ugly. They were (laughs) drugged up. They were all these things. And now look at them. Are you convinced? You're convinced. And we share these things over and over. The power of a testimony can change a life. Because when I get convinced, guess what happens? Now it works in me. Now it sets me right with God. Now what God promised me, I'm not wavering and uncertain and wondering about and just kind of seeing if it's going to happen. No, I'm certain. This is, the done, this is a done deal. Same God who changed Saul's life. Same God who healed this person of cancer. Same God who changed this, this situation. He said this to me in His Word, and I'm going to take Him at it, and now I experience that. Now watch again. Let me say this. These words are not written just so we can talk about them and they mean nothing to us. My life is hinging upon whether I get convinced of what God said. There is a notion that some people have that if God said it, it's just going to happen, period. That's not correct, though. If that were, Jesus... Paul, all these guys would never point to illustrations and examples of people being convinced, being persuaded, knowing for certain, and then sharing the result of that belief. We would not be given those accounts because that makes that would confuse us. But we are, and so we know that the condition of our heart, thank God it's movable and changeable from wherever it's at, but we can be moved into a position to where we receive God's best right here, right now. Amen. I know in the Old Testament, uh, Israel was going out out of Egypt and going into the promised land. Remember, God gave them manna from heaven. And He said, don't you save it up from day to day. You get fresh every day. I think there's something to be said about a believer, a child of God, who has an ongoing experiential relationship with the Lord. I tell you what, when you communicate Him to others, whether they're lost, whether they're just beat up in life and having all kinds of trouble, when you communicate Him 
to others, it will come with greater force than the person who has no testimony. But when you experience God, He answers your prayers. You have, a, have an experience with God that is so real, and they know you. They're talking to you. It's going to move their heart in the right way, and they're going to experience Him too. I don't have experience in all areas of life. I've never had a terminal disease, but I've seen other people who have get healed. So I'm going to tell their story. I didn't, I didn't have this experience that Saul had, but I'll use his story like I did today. And use it to help convince hearts of the reality of God's promise, His presence, and His power toward us. Praise God. And so, I want to encourage you, stay fresh. (laughs) Stay current. Experience God again and again. And every time you do, tell someone else about it. It'll move them into a position where they will experience God. Use the testimonies of others. Here, don't, be, don't pride yourself in being a skeptic. Well, I'm not sure about that. See, that doesn't help. I don't mean be gullible. I'm not, we don't want to be gullible people, but I don't want to pride myself in being a skeptic. And I, every time someone says, God said this, or God healed this, or God, this, this prayer was answered, I go, well, I don't know about that. We'll see. <laughs> you know what that shows? Hard-heartedness. You know what that shows? A person who is, is hard to convince. You know the person who is hard to convince is never praised in Scripture. The person who is hard to, hard to convince, they are slow to believe. They're unpersuadable. They're never lifted up as an example. In fact, all those people, they were left out. Well, except for Judas. <laughs> he got in there. I don't want to be like him. Let me give you this Scripture in closing. Acts chapter 10 verse 42 Acts 10:42 it says and he commanded us as Jesus and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead what did the lord jesus tell him he said you go out there and you testify i believe that same word is valid for us today Not only should we receive the testimonies of others that are right and true and be convinced and be persuaded, but now when you experience God and you have an answer to your prayer, He moves in your family, in your marriage, in in your physical body. What should you do? Tell about it. Testify. Testify to those near and those far of what the Lord has done. And that will be used by God Himself to bring about change in someone else's life. Amen. Amen.